Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the author's books and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, our lecturer in philosophy at Catholic Studies Academy. And today, our topic is going to be that of natural law, because despite uh, what's going on outside, there are other things to talk about. <laughs> and I think that's important for... Uh, uh, for us to uh, think about during this time um, to not be uh, to not get caught up in 24-hour news cycles with uh, all kinds of crazy statistics and uh, all these things but to uh, uh, take a reprieve from that and uh, uh, go into uh, some of the things that have uh, eternal consequences and uh, to think about uh, some of the things that uh, are outside of that it's healthy it's good for you and we should all uh, strive to do it, and we are here to assist in that. Uh, and so, Dr. Smith, today our topic is going to be natural law, which is something that it's been it's been held by Christians for 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 centuries, uh, um, you know, up until late, probably. Um, it's a, a very important heritage that Christians have really held held tightly and tried to um, base um, base a lot of their morality on. Uh, it's a it's a starting point for a lot of them in that way, and for and you know part of the view is that it is this shared moral ground that we have with even uh, the the non Christian. Um, even if you go to sacred scripture, as you pointed out in mm -hmm. Romans, uh, we were talking about this earlier. Romans uh, chapter two verse fourteen, it says, "When Gentiles who do not possess the law do instinctive instinctively uh, what the law requires, these." though not having the law, are a law to themselves. They show that what the law requires is written on their hearts, uh, which right. their, to which their own conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts will accuse or perhaps mm -hmm. excuse them. So even yeah. Scripture bears witness to this. Mm -hmm. um, so, Dr. Smith, why don't you get us started uh, into this? You know, it's a very large uh, topic, you know, uh, that a natural sure. law. Yeah, so I think it's uh, useful uh, to take a little bit of a kind of historic, historical broad view, right, of this idea of the natural law mm -hmm. um, before we kind of delve into specifics. You know, the idea that there is a natural law, the belief uh, that there is a natural law um, is very widespread uh, historically. Uh, you can find um, antecedents going back to... Um, so the early roots of this way of thinking, going back to uh, ancient Greece, Plato, Aristotle, uh, for sure, um, and uh, and even in, in some of the you know like the uh, literary works, you know, like uh, in um, the Iliad and the Odyssey, um, yeah. Antigone, famously, um, you have an idea of a, of a law that's higher than the law of the state, uh, a natural law. Um, and then also we find it very well, uh, really more developed really in the Roman tradition uh, and Roman, Roman legal tradition recognized a natural law that was um, ahead of or before uh, the, the law of the, the Chivitas, right, of the, of the city. Um, you also find it in Cicero, the Stoics are an important source. And then really we find it in, you know, of course, in medieval works in the, of theologians like St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, uh, but really even going through even, you know, most, I would say, 
most early uh, sort of Protestant theologians held something like that. Mm -hmm. Certainly C.S. Lewis held it, you know, into the 20th century. Um, Think about Martin Luther King uh, Jr. talks about, you know, the idea that there's a natural law, a moral law that transcends the the law of the city. So this is just actually like a, it's a a mainstay, right? Right, really of civilization. Uh, The idea, right, that there is this, natural law, right? Um, so what, what do you mean by that? One thing might be helpful is to begin by distinguishing uh, between the, uh, the natural law and the law of nature, right? So a law of nature is usually when people use that term, they mean it in a scientific way, right? Like sure. you're talking about, you know, a law of physics or chemistry or something like that. That's not what we're talking about with the natural law. Right. Uh, at a baseline, if you look at all these different historical sources, you'll find different sort of ways to distinguish the natural law and define it. Um, But you could say that the core kind of idea is that there is a set of moral standards or moral principles Mm -hmm. uh, universally knowable to reason. Um, So that's a, you know, in our contemporary setting, of course, that's a huge challenge. Sure. Because right? reason's <laughs> gone out the window. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's true. Reason's gone out the window. But the idea that there is a, yeah, that there's a common morality yeah. right, that we can all fall back to and that that morality, as C.S. Lewis, Lewis puts it, is, is as objective as the rules of math, right? Yeah. So that it's, it's just as real as mathematics. Now, just like mathematics, we can ignore it, right? We can we can try. It's sure. ignore. I should put it that way, yeah. right? You know, you can just say, <laughs> "Well, I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna pay attention to fractions and decimals and changing yeah. fractions." And de- oh, I hate doing that. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like I'm just not gonna pay attention to that. But it's there, right? Yeah, you know, it's exactly. Right. Um, and to some degree, you ignore it at your peril. Yes, and and even I mean to to you know. To, to put it briefly, I mean, we want to do good and avoid evil. Like, mm-hmm. nobody would really argue with that, kind of like two plus two is four. Nobody right. would really argue with that. <laughs> but but you get into to more complex math problems, and mm-hmm. guess what? Like, right, right, I have right. no idea what you're doing. You know, like, <laughs> that's, right, that's right, yeah. And, you know, it's, most people seem to know that intuitively, right? Or naturally, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I mean, there are villains, right? But I would say most people aren't villains, there are people who are just sort of like, yeah, this is evil and I like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but most people aren't. Most right. people will try to justify themselves, right? Even yeah. if they're engaging in something that, you know, is broadly perceived or perceived by a particular group to be wrong. They say, oh, no, 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 it's not really wrong because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah. Here's right. why it is good. And then they'll try to, yeah. you know, so everybody under yeah. kind of understands that, like, okay, I'm going to do good. I'm going to, you know, fight evil or at least right. avoid, at least avoid, avoid it. it. But it's really funny because that just sort of flies in the face of the claims of relativism, right? Yeah. But it, 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 practically, we contradict ourselves on that all the time. Um, our relativists contradict themselves on this all the time. We're, and you wanted to say, like, why does that evidence get ignored? Why is it the case that humans are so doggone serious about morally justifying themselves? Yeah. Isn't that significant, right? Like, if it's just, if morality is just some, you know, like wearing a tie, like the social <laughs> convention, right? I'm going to wear blue today. Yeah. yeah then then why, why are humans so uh, committed to justifying themselves morally well i think most you know of the wise and the holy over the centuries would say 
because there's a moral law and we know it, whether we want to admit it or not, you know, uh, and uh, it's a moral law that, that's evident to our reason. Now I'm yeah. saying that, that doesn't mean it's everything about it is obvious or that it's spelled out in, um, you know, uh, uh, fully, um, you know, self-contained definitions or something. Yeah, some kind of interior dictate that that we can can consult to, we can go to it in our minds and and read it in case we've forgotten it, you know. And that's that's an interesting point, I think, with, with, uh, or or that's something that I always, you know, have to, like, try to remind myself, like, okay, we, we do have this natural law, but when you encounter those that seem to deny it or something, to to also have the understanding that even though we do have this natural law, not everybody is uh, uh, not everybody is aware of it to the same degree. Yes, um, yes. Because because it's not something like a, a, this this innate reference point that we can just point back to and say, mm-hmm. oh yeah, 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 there it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like you have a manual, right? Yeah. In your head, um, the uh, yeah, it's important, Jason, that that to recognize even though it's knowable to reason and evident to reason it's not no it's not actually known to the same degree yeah right? yeah now, but yep. i want to sort of balance that with saying part of the 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 natural law tradition part of the natural law belief is that uh, or hypothesis i should say is that we do actually all like all mature adults do actually know at least some of the moral law implicitly Right. So you you use that word mature, <laughs> mature adult. Well, I, I don't know exactly. Uh, <laughs> I just mean full grown. <laughs> so, co- yeah, your cognitive development has, uh, yeah, has yeah. reached its its completion. Um, we're not talking about emotionally mature. Or yeah, that's right. Necessarily. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a great point. Uh, but yeah, so the, 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 you know that we do actually know some of it. That said, like as you said. To different degrees and we can talk about why that's so mm-hmm. it has to do with culture probably it also has to do with natural cognitive you know inclinations and abilities um that differ from person to person um but i think culture is a big part of it upbringing of course is a big part of sure. it um now you might say well that makes it sound like it's not natural well that's too simplistic right uh there's a yeah. you know what one you know there's a kind of the nurture versus nature debate you get with people and sometimes the way that that's articulated is in a highly simplistic way as if sure. if there's any nurture to it then it can't be nature or if there's any nature to it then nurture is unimportant yeah. well that's just clearly false if you've dealt with anything that's actually natural right, right. any natural organism right you know has a, a natural um trajectory of development Right. right. Um, you know, that said, you still need to put it in a good environment uh, and effect, you know, like a helpful environment in order for it to grow. Like if I if I try to plant a tomato plant in my living room and I just kind of lay it on the hardwood and start watering it. Right. <laughs> you know, like, you it's know, nature. Like, it will like, grow. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. That work. <laughs> That's right. It needs the proper environment. Right. It needs yeah. to be watered. It needs soil. Uh, not my hardwood floor. <laughs> um yeah yeah and uh, i and i think that's i think that's one of the i think that's one of the 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 areas that kind of gets forgotten about or 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 set aside because it's not mm -hmm. it's not visible to the senses 
Uh, and when I used to do baptism prep, I used to talk about this all the time. You know, like we, we laugh about this tomato plant, right? Because it's, mm. it's so obvious. Or, you know, you talk about your, mm. you know, when you're with your kids and stuff like they're, if they're hungry, guess what? They're going to scream and tell you, you know, whether there, there's this, there, we understand this when it comes to the physical needs, they have to be nurtured uh, in order for something to develop properly. But when it comes to like the spiritual or when it comes to to things involving sure. the mind and stuff, we, we sometimes want to, you know, sometimes our, our society just kind of wants to say, well, let them decide later on in life. Let them, you know, uh, right, like right. You, you would never do that. Like, mm -hmm. okay, my child really wants Twinkies for dinner. Who am I to yeah. judge? No, yeah. you you wouldn't you wouldn't do that. But for for whatever reason, we we kind of we kind of take a step back and say, well, we don't want to force these things, blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. But it's proper to our development. Sure, to, to, our development. Yeah. You know, yeah. To look yeah, at it this way. It's, it has to do with. Uh, I mean, the question is: Is it real? Like, is it is morality objective? Right? Yeah. It's sort of always like: Is physics objective? Is mathematics objective? You know, like I didn't like math in school. I actually like it a lot more now than I used to. But like when I was a kid, I hated it. And my dad said, "I don't care. Study it. <laughs> right? Learn it because it's part of." This part of knowing about reality and being yeah, able to eat function. your vegetables. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, so, you know, now, of course, that's a bold claim, right? To, to claim that it's uh, objective knowledge. And maybe I'll, I'll say a little bit about that in a few minutes. But, but that is, right, one of the central features, right? That it's, again, similar to mathematics. Mm -hmm. Every human person can learn math, right? Yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean they, and, and everybody probably knows a little bit on their own, just, from normal human experience, right? Oh, sure. But you know, algebra was tough, right? And it was something that that took a while to develop. Does that make sense, right? Like it wasn't, um, you know, people didn't just, not just every civilization came up with algebra, right? Or calculus or trigonometry or those sorts of things, right? So, um, or geometry. Uh, geometry. So, uh, you know, it's, it again, it's something that we all actually know, at least some of it. Sure. Right. Um, even if um, it requires cultivation, right, and the proper environment in order to uh, to grow. Now, that's been explained in a couple of different ways. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting uh, within the natural law tradition. Because again, I would include within the natural law tradition everybody from Aristotle to John Locke. Those are very different thinkers in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> but all of them support, I would say, some version. Like I would yep. say, you know, John Locke's version of the natural law is extremely thin, but it's there. I think if you if you take the time to study him deeply, um, uh, you know, it's not nearly as thick and robust and worked out in the, as they say, for example, as in St. Thomas. Um, but but anyways, um, there there's still that sort of common thread. Uh, across that spectrum of thinkers, they develop different hypotheses about how, like, how the the knowledge of the natural law is developed. Mm, right? Interesting. So probably yeah. the two the two two most important ones would I would say be kind of the Aristotelian Thomist account, and then the second one would be the Stoic account. Mm -hmm. So the the Thomist account, right, uh, is very similar to the way we talk about many other things, and that is that that we have natural inclinations mm -hmm. that when properly stimulated 
properly cultivated within a certain uh, correct environment tend to develop in certain ways, right? Um, so it's interesting, you know, there's a long debate within the history of philosophy between sort of innate a priori knowledge sure. and experiential knowledge, right? You know, so do you have knowledge just sort of innately and then it just has to come out or do you have, uh, do you gain knowledge to experience? It, the, the Aristotelian Thomist approach is actually somewhere in between, which is that we have innate inclinations, right? Mm -hmm. So we don't have innate knowledge in a full-blown sense, but we have innate inclinations to learn certain things, right? Uh, again, within the proper environment. So within a, within a decent environment, uh, the Thomist view is that we are naturally inclined um, to come to a knowledge of these things, right? The, At least seed, a, the seeds are there. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that, that we're naturally inclined to, um, um, to come to know that uh, you should do good and avoid evil, right? Um, that <laughs> yeah. self-preservation is something that you should do. You know, self-preservation should be done. Um, those sorts of things, right? That theft is wrong, honoring your parents is right. Um, those sorts of things, right? Mm -hmm. so, you know, uh, treason is is wrong. Um, that that the mind is naturally set up to come to know those those things within a uh, a, an appropriate environment, right? So right. we have a natural inclination to it. So again, it does take some moral, it's not as if you just take a child and make it feral and it lives out in the woods, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, that it's it's going to come up with all the precepts of the natural law. You do need to cultivate it, just yeah. like, again, mathematics, but it is something that the human mind naturally tends towards. You have children, Jason, and, you know, one of the things, you know, that they, uh, yeah, children events very early, right? Is the sense of fairness, what's fair or not fair. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. And, there, and there's no there's no one more dedicated to actually it's really humorous. There's no one more dedicated to rules than children, oddly yeah. enough. Like the rules <laughs> of a game, like my children just go mad oh when somebody, yeah. you know, uh, like it's like, oh wait, that's not according to the rules, you know. <laughs> Um, so anyways, uh, we have uh, those natural relations. The Stoic account of that uh, is, is very similar. In fact, you use the word seeds. They kind of think of it as that there are certain kind of almost notions or ideas that are kind of already implicit in the human way of thinking sure. and just take the right sort of, again, environment or cultivation to, uh, to flourish. So those are two ways of, uh, of talking about it. And, it. and I think it's interesting, right? Like, mm -hmm. the, you know, that okay, we have this naturalization from a Christian perspective, of course, you know, that seems highly right, you know, sure. especially given what Romans 2 is talking about there, um, that, you know, we also, of course, you know, have other passage in Romans that talks about the invisible things of God being clearly evident from the things that are made, um, that, you know, God has set us up to know, right? Uh, the law, right? The moral law, to at least some degree, right? Now, again, it may be vague. We might make mistakes in how we apply it, right? Uh, um, it, it's, yeah, again, like our knowledge of mathematics, it may be kind of fuzzy, right? Uh, but nevertheless, it's still we still are naturally inclined to come to know certain moral truths, right? Like, you know, honor your parents. Yeah, and it's also important to remember you know, that we're, we could talk about these things kind of, a, you know, naturally, that doesn't mean that they are 
devoid of everything that we talk about with regards to religion, you know, yeah, that, sure. that, you know, even though they're natural. Now, when we have conversations with people, as soon as you bring up religion, they may, Oh, mm -hmm. here we go. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. but it's important to remember that they're not devoid. So, I mean, you have, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes from Augustine, you know, is that, you know, God wrote on the tablets, what man ceased to read in his heart. Mm -hmm. um kind of that 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 idea that you know it was something that was there but because of our fallen nature mm -hmm. we 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 our our access to it is uh, uh or our access our ability to be, to be able to follow it uh sure. is cloudy we have you sure. know sure. passions we have all these strong emotions that quickly uh -huh. get in the way of mm -hmm. of um our not only not only our ability to follow it but also mm -hmm. our ability to just simply understand natural law mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. uh, on a on in kind of an objective way sure uh, sure outside of that yeah i mean i think that uh, that's absolutely right jason the um you know re regarding that quote obviously that he's you know written on the heart is is taken from that passage in romans 2 uh mm -hmm. by augustine and you know romans 1 talks about the the the, the fact that from a, a you know a christian perspective you know sadly men suppress the truth in unrighteousness right they, that we know the truth yeah and we unrighteously suppress it to use the metaphor of writing and reading was right your, your quote there we cease to read what was written that doesn't mean it's not written yeah we just stop reading it right <laughs> uh and that, that's that kind of romans chapter one suppression of the truth in unrighteousness right you know we recognize that these moral truths exist i think mm -hmm. again to a greater or lesser degree but oftentimes we want to suppress them right exactly. we don't want to it's a, like i'd rather not oddly enough i'd rather not know you know <laughs> uh, as, a, uh, as a as a fallen um as a fallen sinner yeah uh, uh but it's still still there right that it's still written there um uh, you know more or less clearly um, or let's like say our ability to read it is probably more or less clear. Right? So yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's why I love the I love you know the image you use of of cultivation, whether mm -hmm. whether we're talking about education or something like this. You know, mm -hmm. that that you know it's something that's 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 there that doesn't need you know because when, when you think about you know a, a craftsman or or yeah, somebody sure. that's doing you know a, a gardener or something like that it's not just that they have the ability to help grow that but there's also that aspect mm -hmm. of you know you love the thing in itself you know you love right. the thing that you're trying to to help out mm -hmm. uh, um with regards to that and so this you know to to nurture and to 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 cultivate that um not just in others but also like you know and this is where a lot of times i think we fall like I, I think it's great, you know, like I'm strong about, you know, helping enforce this in my children, you know, but how much do I cultivate it in myself? Well, that's, you know, I got to focus sure. on my kids, you know, sometimes, so I mean, sometimes we need that, we need that, that particular focus on our own development in this area uh -huh. to be able to, uh -huh. to recognize it and then be able to, to, to follow it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the, uh, um, yeah, try to try to bring it bring it to the fore in our own lives, our own self examination. Right? Is, is, oh yeah, uh, is very is very important. But it's an important standard for us to sure. to think about. You know, what about the evidence for this standard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The because uh, someone said, well, this sounds kind of you know interesting, but how do you know? Like, yeah, like what's the proof? Show me some evidence. I think we can. There's a lot actually to say here, but I want to kind of reference two 
approaches that a lot of different natural law theorists take. Um, again, I think C.S. Lewis and, and other uh, other thinkers point to the um, the kind of just ubiquity of some of these moral standards, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that is how widespread they are. Um, honoring your parents, almost every culture imaginable, yeah. right? That hasn't run into postmodern nonsense. <laughs> um, you know, that hasn't been infected by that kind of thing, right? Uh, believes that you should honor your parents. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's just so widespread. I mean, everything from, you know, Confucian ethics to Aztecs to, um, you know, uh, sub-Saharan uh, tribal cultures to European cultures, all over, honor your parents, right? Yeah. Um, that uh, today that's so neglected but um anyways um but that that, that's that that's a normal thing obviously it's embedded in the ten commandments right but it's already written i mean like the ten commandments tell you something you should already know right yeah you just make it evident that god has commanded it right (laughs) um but it's um you know that's just like one example prohibitions on adultery prohibitions on theft Right, would be other examples. Um, you know, and Lewis thinks, look, this is important, right? I mean, um, the um, uh, on these deep matters, there tends to be uh, like a, a lot of moral agreement, right? Now, there's a lot of moral disagreement too, but we don't want to let that disagreement blind us to yeah. right? the fact that there is such a widespread. Um, grasp of the moral of of certain moral truths yeah and there has to be something interesting to something like that that transcends entire cultures that you're Mm -hmm. you know where what is the source of it if these Mm -hmm. cultures that are from the from the from the outset examined by any anthropologist or whatever would say Mm -hmm. you know these are two completely different cultures but yet they have these elements that are almost the same yeah, uh, uh, within yeah, them sure. so so what is it about them where is it where does mm-hmm. this come from where is this yeah uh, what well, yeah. some people will say is something like oh well uh, heard some <laughs> oh well those are just things that you have to have to keep society together right they'll use that word just it's just yes. something to, right yeah and, and like, well okay uh or maybe it's just something that they've been taught by their societies well why like why is it the case and why is it the case that we form societies that, that presuppose these kinds of rules, right? I mean, isn't that interesting, right? Yeah. If, if you say, oh, it's just society, well, okay, but why do we form societies? And why are societies such that they, they need these rules, right? Other animal societies don't require these rules. Right? <laughs> like wolves yeah. and, 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 you know, um, groups of lions are called prides, I believe. Yeah, is that yeah. correct? you know like they don't follow these rules necessarily right they just go to the strongest right um you know it's just kind of right as might uh or might is right um the so um you know i think that that just kind of kicked that kind of argument just kicks the can down the road yeah. you still have the question of okay why these societies why societies that are that that require to stay in existence a moral code because frankly you don't you to stay in existence, societies don't have to have that. They could be organized more like packs or prides or something like that, right? Sure. Um, you know uh, that sort of thing. So, 
I think that's really just an inadequate um, um, objection uh, to, to, you know, you could say, you know, it's taught by society. Why is it taught by society? Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, to, 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 the, to, again, the ubiquity of these uh, moral codes. More uh, in, uh, sort of internally and personally, right? You can say, I think, point to the evidence of your sort of personal experience of feeling moral conviction, right? Mm -hmm. Feeling, having the experience of moral obligation, right? Sure. You know, sometimes there's this thing where you just, we, we've all probably had this at different times where, say we've done something and then we experience regret and self-reproach, mm -hmm. right? That's uncomfortable, right? <laughs> you know, interestingly, some people don't experience this, I, I think. But uh, anyways, they're not not nearly enough. Um, but um, but you know, like you have the experience of that of that sense of regret, self reproach, sure. shame, and you know, it used to be the case that a a way of say, of of um, to negatively describing someone would, would be to say that so-and-so so is shameless, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, because actually experiencing shame, moral shame is a good thing uh, up to a point, right? I mean, obviously you don't want to be morose, but um, you know, having that sense of, oh, I, I've done wrongly and I, I feel badly about it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not a bad thing. Uh, similarly, uh, sometimes we we have the experience of obligation. You know, just the just the sense that something must be done or must not be done, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, say that, you know, a fellow employee is encouraging you to slack off at work and take off a little bit early, but still, you know, still keep your punch, you know, your punch card the same, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I guess for younger people, I should say you're I don't know what should I say. Not punch card. We don't use those anymore. What yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> virtual time cards. I don't know. Yeah, time card. There you go. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, um, but yeah, like you know, yeah, we're going to take off after about six hours. We're going to charge the employer eight hours worth of labor. Yeah. Well, you know, so you might say, you know, like I just can't do that. It can't, you're, you're, and your friend might say, "Well, we can get away with it. Come on, it wasn't really now, right?" And you're like, yeah, I just think it's wrong. Yeah, like I, like I, like I'm obliged, right? There's a sense of obligation there. There's something that must be done, right? Uh, I think that that's an important human experience and one that often is kind of downplayed, right? Again, that that experience of obligation. Obviously, you know, soldiers encounter this. I think we we naturally mm -hmm. are inclined, right, to experience obligation about certain matters right mm -hmm. um you know like we would consider someone pretty pretty depraved almost anybody like their instant reaction if i said oh so and so never feeds their children right <laughs> you know like are like without having to get into the arguments right yeah you know like almost any mature normal adult is gonna respond oh that's terrible Right, <laughs> yeah. you know, like that. The, there's a sense of like wrongness there that we just experience, um, uh, almost sort of directly, right? Is it, without argumentation. Now, that that kind of presupposes, right, that we somehow know we have some sort of knowledge that some things ought to be done and some things ought not to be done, right? Why would we have that experience if we didn't already have? 
uh, within us um, something that kind of obliges or blames, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like, uh, again, that, that passage of Romans 2, right, that uh, says that either convicts, right, or excuses, excuses right? So that, yeah. you know, so that we have within us already some moral knowledge, right, such that we, without argumentation, have an immediate response of praise or blame, obligation or um, prohibition uh, with respect to at least some activities. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I experience this all the time with, well, hopefully it's getting lesser and lesser, but like with my own kids, especially with regards to, um, you know, at a certain age, some of my kids have, you know, tried to get away with lying, you know, Mm -hmm. and I've never really had a conversation about to them about, you know, what is truth, you know, mm-hmm. the, the duty to tell the truth. You know, I don't sit down and, you know, lecture my kids on, on these things or whatever. You didn't put a syllogism out that started with man is a rational animal? <laughs> All right, kids. <laughs> whiteboard, whiteboard time of dad. Here we go. <laughs> no, it's, no, no, but, 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 but uh, the conversation always, you know, when, when they get caught, the conversation always begins the same. You, you know, you told a lie. Did you know what you were doing was wrong? Yeah. And every right, single right. time they shake their heads, you know, there's tears in their eyes. It's the uh, saddest thing in the uh-huh. world, but it's good for them. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they shake their heads and they say, yes, they, they, mm-hmm. they, they knew what they were doing was wrong. That they, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they, there was some obligation within them right. to either tell the truth or to answer my question truthfully. Mm-hmm. But they, for whatever reason, some sort of disordered self-preservation maybe uh, <laughs> they 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 chose to not do that and they and they knew it was wrong i mean and mm-hmm. and again we, we i haven't sat down with them and talked you know of course this is the time now when i'm like all right here this is truth and here's this uh, yeah. you know so but 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 again it's something that that is, that's there with with within even you know the smallest of child you know children i mean you know you're yeah. talking you know some of the kids you know you're talking like at or even before what the church considers the age of reason seven mm-hmm. i mean even before that kids know when they're sure. uh, uh when they're when they're lying or something like that so right, right. there's this there's this thing that that that's within them that that is giving them like you said this this uh obligation uh that, right. we, that yeah. we need yeah. to do and, and with, with regard and this is the important thing i think also to help our society remember that it's not just uh you know that it that it's it has this obligation has to do with morals it mm-hmm. points mm-hmm. to something within the moral life mm-hmm. that morals are not right. all up for grabs that there's right right yeah absolutely yeah the uh i think it's um um our, yeah certainly our society needs to, to regulate yeah that it, it, it's already there right yeah uh again it needs to be cultivated it's not completely explicit but uh, it's still there. Um, and we think about that experience of obligation or, or the experience of prohibition. Uh, one way of trying to, to, try to describe that or explain it is we have a natural inclination to, br- to praise or blame what Thomas Aquinas calls the bonum anestum, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think about, you know, uh, explain that a little bit here. Um, uh, Thomas adopts this Aristotelian thesis, right? That sounds shocking at first, but that uh, all human actions for the good. Mm-hmm. Now, 
people get terribly confused about this sometimes. Right? So I decide what is good. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or I've heard some people recently try to turn it into like a uh, an excuse for universalism. We're always doing the, pursuing the good, so we're always pursuing God. Right. Okay. Well, no, so therefore, no. we will always end. Yeah. Know. Right. As I know, scripture <laughs> scripture seems to say something else. Uh, what, what the, the point here that's being made is a psychological point. That is, yeah. we always pursue what we pursue insofar as we see it to be desirable in some way or the other, right? Yeah. So, you know, a, a perception of, of, a, of an objective as desirable is psychologically presupposed in all of our intentions and choices. That's not saying we're always pursuing the moral good, right? right. Because we might see something as desirable insofar as it's pleasurable, right? right. So, you know, people fornicate for a reason. Right, because it's pleasurable, um, and uh, among maybe some other reasons, but that that doesn't make it good. And it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that when you fornicate, you think you're doing what is morally good. Right? Uh, you know, so uh, we see what's desirable under a variety of aspects. Mm-hmm. Right? So one aspect is what Thomas calls the bonum uh, delectabile. Right, that is the delightful good, right? So mm-hmm. some kind of satisfaction could be just physical pleasure, could be emotional pleasure, whatever it is. We do something because we enjoy it, right? Mm-hmm. Because it uh, gives us a thrill or some sort of satisfaction. Another reason to do, thing, uh, do things, um, another w- reason that we perceive certain things to be desirable is because we see it as useful, right? So, you know, things like exercise or going to the doctor or balancing, you know, your checkbook, all that sort of thing, right? Those are all things that, you know, like maybe there are a few accountants out there who really enjoy balancing the checkbook just for its own <laughs> sake, right? But, but for most of us, it's just a useful good, right? It's something that's to be done. It's desirable to do it uh, because it helps us in other ways. But there's this other category of things where we are inclined to praise or blame in themselves. And that's the bonum anestum, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes called the honorable good or the honest good. It's what's praiseworthy to be done, right? Or blameworthy um, if you do it uh, in itself, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, people get confused about this, especially sort of some 20th century ethicists and, and get things backwards. A mother who cares for her children, right? Sometimes, even the best mother, right, probably doesn't always feel naturally or, you know, uh, inclined towards that, right? There are times you're like, yeah, I really yeah. wish you could just take care of yourself, right? <laughs> um, but, the, uh, but still would do it and would feel badly, right, if she didn't take care of the child, mm-hmm. right, uh, probably later. Uh, and maybe even has some feelings of self, um, um, self um affirmation when she does take care of mm-hmm. the child right okay a decent sense of pride sure um so some psycho some ethicists will say well see she really did it not because she experiences a moral obligation but because she got she wanted to avoid bad feelings and have good feelings but that's actually psychologically getting it backwards the reason yeah. she has those feelings is because she perceives the obligation right? She perceives that she's obligated to take care of her child. And for that reason, has a good feeling when she does take care of the child and a bad feeling when she does. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And people get that backwards all the time. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was, who is it? Uh, uh, Christopher Hitchens or whichever, whichever no, one always attacked Mother Teresa. Get, right, put right, that on yeah. there that, you know, the reason why she was feeding the poor and living this entire life of sacrifice and like 
uh-huh. horrible circumstances was just to get people to acknowledge her. Like That's it was right. like the most ridiculous <laughs> claim against a little old nun I'd ever heard in my life. But yeah, right. it's it's, yeah. it's completely backwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, so we do have this 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 experience, right, of being attracted mm-hmm. to something that as obligatory or repulsed by something, right, that is uh, contrary to um, um, uh, contrary to what is morally obligatory, right? So you have duties and prohibitions, you could say. Um, uh, and that's interesting, like why? Like why is it that we would say some things in themselves are praiseworthy or some things in themselves are blameworthy regardless of consequences or pleasure or other things like that, right? Yeah. Well, again, like you know, St. Thomas and others would say, because there is this baseline knowledge we already have, right? We already, we already are under a moral law, right? That we know. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that I've tried to just talk about this really sort of at the level of experience and action for the most part. And that's because that's where we actually live out the natural law, you sure. could say, right? Um, it's important to recognize though that, that you can be someone who follows the natural law without being a moral philosopher, right? Yeah, yeah right? and sometimes actually people, and philosophers get confused about this. Um, knowing the natural law is not itself a conclusion of moral philosophy. Right, knowing yeah. the natural law is natural. Right, it's yeah. it's just something that plain persons are inclined to know. Um, now, a philosopher can come along and try to explain the natural law more deeply, clarify the natural law. Right, but it doesn't take philosophy to know it. Right, yeah, which is exactly. is kind of interesting. Right, uh, you know, you can you already uh, know it and you can follow it. In fact, the philosopher might be worse at following it. Yeah, I was going to uh, say sometimes my seven year old is better than I am. <laughs> So uh, uh, it doesn't take philosophy uh, to know it. Now that said, we should probably try to develop some sort of explanation of why certain things are perceived to be uh, bonum anestum, or that is why the natural law um, prohibits some things and mandates others. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense, yeah. right? Um, in order to uh, to clarify what we already know natu- naturally, right? Um, and that kind of gives us a, a, a standard, right? By which we can say, oh, actually, the, you've got the natural law wrong here, right? Or we need to get this, the natural law clear in this area, something like mm-hmm. that, right? Um, and there's di- again, there's different uh, approaches here. Um, and maybe we'll just, just kind of outline these a little bit and then we can wrap up, but um, one way of uh, uh, approaching this is to talk about it in terms of uh, natural ends, right? So this is kind of the uh, Aristotelian Thomist approach, which would say that, you know, um, the natural law is, um, you know, is derived from or based on uh, the ends to which a rational animal is directed, right? right? So as rational animal, you know, we have natural, we're naturally inclined towards um, uh, knowing the truth, self-preservation, being in society, et cetera. Uh, and therefore those are natural ends, right? They're goods that perfect our nature. And on the basis of that, the rule is derived, you know, um, uh, participate in society, obey the laws, 
et cetera, right? Um, you know, uh, the prohibition on suicide or all those sorts of things, right? So that's a, a, an Aristotelian approach where you look at the nature, you look at then the natural ends that go with it, with that nature, and then you derive the rules, so to speak, on the basis of those natural ends. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then uh, another approach would be the Stoic approach, which is not too different from, from the Aristotelian one, but, but there's a slightly different emphasis. And, and that's the idea that, you know, Epictetus talks about this, that when you're trying to, um, and Marcus Reyes, that when you're trying to figure out what is your duty, um, what you need to look at is your role, right? Your social role, or they would sometimes use the term social relationship. Yeah. So that when you think about, okay, what am I, what, what, what is my duty? Well, I'm a father, right? Uh, I'm an employee of a certain institution. I'm a citizen of the United States of America. Uh, I'm a friend to so-and-so and so-and-so, -and -so, right? That those social rules, are, or that I'm a son, right? Still my parents, thanks be to God, are still alive. So I'm a son, right, to um, my, uh, my parents that you can ask, well, what's fitting, right, with respect to each of those roles? What what actions are implied by those roles, if that makes yeah. sense? And of course, the Stoics had the view, uh, our term cosmopolitan comes from the Stoics. They meant something very different by it. They meant cosmopolis, right, which the idea is that the, the, is that the cosmos is a polis, that is a, it's a city-state, and it's ruled by, you know, God or logos, uh, is what they would have said, or reason. Um, and so that the whole, all of all of the world, right, uh, is kind of a society uh, mm. with social roles in it, and that we can figure out what we're supposed to do in terms of social role. Uh, for, uh, one last one, there's other versions of this, but one last one I think that's worth uh, noting is the uh, kind of late modern version you get in uh, a philosopher like Thomas Reed. He's somebody I've become more interested in over the years, recent recent years. He's a late modern philosopher. He's kind of the preeminent member of what's sometimes called Scottish common sense realism, right? <laughs> and sounds it sounds good, right? <laughs> yeah. like and he, uh, uh, he's, uh, he was actually very influential in his own time. I think he's a generation after David Hume. Uh, he was very influential really on American thinkers. Uh, he's somebody that, that, that uh, we don't often, or, or you don't often associate with, um, America, but actually was very influential in the United States. Uh, one of the things he has, one of the things he has in his his work on moral philosophy is he said his claim about natural law is that we all innately have this immediate knowledge that you should do with that that which is proportionate and avoid that which is not proportionate. <laughs> uh, and I think that's interesting claim, yeah. right? He says, yeah, if you really look at all of our moral convictions, moral language, etc., it always revolves around what's proportionate to the agent. So, it's, you know, so, you know, when a, a father neglects his children, we, we, ah, father shouldn't, that's not right. Father shouldn't behave that way. Again, we don't have to be arguing it because it seems disproportionate to being a father. Right. Yeah. Right. And like it, it, there's a there's a lack of conformity to that being a father. Right. Uh, similarly, you know, if a man um, destroys his health through bad habits. Right. You know, we think like, ah, what a shame. Like yeah. he shouldn't have done that. Um, it's bad that he did that, that he destroyed his health. Right. Well, because it's not proportionate to being a living human being. Right. And actually, I think if you if you go through it. 
you can actually, I think Reed's got a point that sure. we tend to make our moral judgments on that basis. You know, why is it wrong to steal? Why is it wrong to claim, uh, to use and take something, control something mm-hmm. that, is, that is not your own? Because it's not your own, right? <laughs> it's not proportionate to who you, who, to, to who you are, namely not the owner, right? <laughs> if I go and I get my, my neighbor's car and, you know, hotwire it and take off, right? Well, that's, that's, that, that's wrong, what, yeah. right? Because I'm not the owner, right, of that thing, right? Um, so actually, I think Reed has a good point there that if you map it, you know, uh, not by proportion, I mean, you know, um, you know, proportionate to who and what you are as an agent. Right, right, right. Um, if you think about this, what, what is fitting, what is proportionate, what is consistent with who and what I am as an agent, right? So that includes like your nature being a rational animal, but also your uh, various social roles uh, that you take on. I think that's actually a pretty sturdy uh, uh, approach there. To, to yeah. figuring out your not, what, what are your pro, pro what are, what is prohibited and what is uh, mandated. Yeah, and we we've talked about this before. You know, talking about what is when, whenever we discuss, you know, what is good for something. Well, it depends on the nature of the thing. Sure, we'll, right, we'll, yeah. we'll also determine what is good for it and what is not good for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, um, in that way, now I think now I think a, a a point that we do need to make up uh, or that we do need to 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 make. Uh, here towards the end you know is that even when we're when we're looking at um, the natural law we look to its its natural end Mm -hmm. that the that that the natural law is insufficient uh, for salvation it's insufficient Mm -hmm. for uh, our supernatural end Uh, I think that's an important point that needs to be made that it's not just uh, mm-hmm. Well, you know, if we simply follow the dictates of our of our uh, conscience mm-hmm. uh, as we see them, then yeah. you know, because I think sure. some people some people can look at that uh, Romans passage and say, "See, I just kind of kind of look at you know what's really written on my heart," <laughs> and they'll now what they mean by heart and what Saint Paul meant by heart, <laughs> I think it's two different right. things, um, yeah. you know. But but to say that you know that follow simply following now does that mean that 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 if if this is all you do that you know your your eternal destiny is guaranteed to be hell no mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. what it means is that it, it it still remains insufficient uh for heaven um, yeah yeah sure yeah, i think it's important thing. yeah yeah the uh i don't know we need to wrap up here and maybe we'll next time we'll kind of talk about some more of the details right sure about uh the natural law and its importance but i think you hit on something that's key here uh, I would say the natural law is, <laughs> well, so enlightenment thinkers tended to reduce religion to following the natural law, actually, yeah. which is really interesting, right? That's what like people like Thomas Jefferson thought, really, religion's reducible to, to acknowledging a creator and uh, honoring that creator by following the natural law. And that's it, right? That's, yeah, your that's duty, doing your duty, yeah. yeah. And obviously, it's better to do your duty than not. Right? Yeah. So, you know, that's good. Um, I would say the natural law, from a Christian perspective, right, um, is sufficient to give you sound moral uh, guidance, right, uh, on what you should or should not do. Um, it's, but it's 
also, <laughs> it's not sufficient for saving you, but it's sufficient for damning you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, well, even even when you look at the when you look at the words of Christ, when he encounters the rich young man, the first thing he says is, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" And he says, "Follow the commandments." And he yeah. says, "Like that's the starting point." Right. You know, so like right, you yeah. said, it, it, it's not it's it's not enough to save you, but it sure is, it sure enough. is enough to damn you. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, that's the thing. It's, it's actually you know, like I think from an evangelistic perspective, right. Um, the natural law, right, is something that stands over all of us, that's knowable by all of us, yeah. whether we're Christians or not, right? And uh, and and that ultimately, right, it 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 does condemn us all, right? Like we all at some point fall short of the natural law, sure, right? And 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 that's why we need the gospel, right? <laughs> exactly, know? yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. And and you know, I have this experience with with my with my children sometimes where. I ask them to do a, a simple thing, you know, go mm-hmm. clean your room. And I go look at their rooms in 20 minutes and it's just a disaster. And then they show, yeah. then they say, well, look at this great picture I painted of, of me and you <laughs> holding hands. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that is a sign of love. They yeah. painted this picture, but it's also what? A sign of disobedience. You did not do the one thing I asked. <laughs> and so, I mean, I could, I could see, you know, I, I could see that in a lot of people's lives where we, mm-hmm. we say, okay, I'm going to do all these other great acts of love. But mm-hmm. did you, did you do the simple things that God has first asked of us? Right, 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 uh, right. Uh, we, you know, uh, it was something that was so important to him that he, he uh, built it within us mm-hmm. uh, uh, to be cultivated uh, by our parents and society um, but we, we didn't do that, those, those simple things first. Right, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I think there's a, yeah, there is a, a very much like a, a, a hierarchy when it comes to looking <laughs> at it in this way, you can't just skip over it. You can't try to build something without this as it's, fa- mm-hmm. as the foundation, mm-hmm. uh, in that way. Yeah. But, uh, all right, Dr. Smith, any, uh, final thoughts? Just uh, yeah, I think it's a, a important topic because it gets at the idea that we, there is objective moral knowledge. That moral knowledge is um, evident. I would say we experience it, uh, and that it can provide a good guide guide for us in um, in our deliberations and judgments. And and really, and this is important, especially in our own time right now. You know that it's that that knowledge is really objective and cross cultural. Right. That is yeah. it. it Across cultures, across time, and even above the, the the human law, and that's kind of maybe something we want to talk about next time is the relationship of the natural law to the human law, mm-hmm. as well as dealing, de- um, you know, detailing a couple of uh, important explanations uh, or important examples uh, of the natural law. All right, Dr. Smith, thank you very much. I think you've given our listeners a lot to think about. I hope it's been beneficial, and I encourage you to go read up more about natural law and. Uh, um, you know, I think it'll help dispel a lot of uh, uh, erroneous um, positions that our society holds, that there's no such thing as natural law, there's no such thing as human nature, and a lot of these things, and we can uh, we can come to, to understand them with our reason, and hopefully with also God's grace, we can be able to explain them well to others. Uh, and so I want to invite all of our listeners to um, check, go over to Catholic Studies Academy, um, like us on Facebook, check out our podcast, subscribe to it. Uh, we've got tons of content over there free and we also have uh, courses that you can sign up for on philosophy and theology and uh, we just want to encourage everybody to uh, uh, keep thinking 
and uh, uh, um, uh, try to always improve so that we can think more clearly uh, and better. And so uh, until next time, God bless.